Welcome to 15 Minutes of Feminism, part of our On the Issues with Michelle Goodwin platform at Ms. Magazine. You know what we do. We report, rebel, and we tell it just like it is. And on this show, too, we center your concerns about rebuilding our nation and advancing the promise of equality. So I'm so happy that you're joining me as we tackle the most compelling issues of our times. History matters to us. We examine the past as we think about the future. On today's show, we're talking about abortion access by mail and telehealth. So what do you need to know? We begin to tackle that question by looking through one important lens of this. That is through telehealth. How long have medication abortions been available? How safe is medication abortion? And joining me for this episode to help break it all down is Dr. Julie Amen. She's a family medicine doctor working for Just the Pill, a nonprofit telemedicine abortion abortion provider based in the Twin Cities and serving people in Minnesota, Montana, and Wyoming, as well as people coming from surrounding states. So, Dr. Amen, and you've given me permission to call you, Julie, thank you so much. You're the medical director of Just the Pill, as my audience has just heard. Can you tell us a bit about the organization and why you started it? Sure. Yeah. So um, Just the Pill is a nonprofit um, sexual and reproductive health telehealth startup. Um, and we started in, let's see, April of 2020 is when our executive director. Right after the pandemic it. launched. So, yep. This was a pandemic project. I tell people like some people had sourdough projects. Our executive director was solving rural abortion access uh, during the pandemic. That was her that was her pandemic project. Um, and I came on pretty soon after that uh, in July, <clears throat> June or July of 2020, right when I was graduating from residency. Um, and our executive director's original idea was to provide um, medication, abortion, and contraception to rural areas in Minnesota um, via a mobile clinic, because most of our clinics are in the urban settings on the eastern side of our state. So Duluth, the Twin Cities, and Rochester, um, and there's a whole lot of state left um, that had a, had a long drive, um, and so that was her original idea, um, but in July of 2020, um, a federal district court in Maryland allowed um, everybody to mail the medication abortion due to the pandemic, right? We don't want to ex expose anybody to coronavirus if we don't have to, um, so we quickly pivoted um, and started mailing medications as of October 2020. Okay. Um, oh, yeah. right. So, so you began mailing them as of October 2020, and this began mm -hmm. as a bit of a uh, COVID project. But in reality, you were meeting a long-standing need, as the Guttmacher Institute so importantly shows us that over the years we've seen a decline in the availability of clinics that are nearby to people that need them. Can you explain just a little bit more about that? Because the need was already there. Sure, yeah, exactly. So I think um, the pandemic really just opened up possibilities, right? It made telemedicine more of a reality. Um, and you're exactly right. Um, you know, it's always, you know, once Roe passed um, uh, many, 73, a long time ago, um, it has slowly been kind of eroded. And it has always really mattered what your zip code is, what your income is, um, um, and how readily available you can access abortion care. So um, over the last 
I want to say 10 to 15 years, um, the regulations that states have passed have just put roadblock after roadblock for patients. Um, and they've shut down some clinics because of that. Um, so yeah, so it's really been, um, a, you know, dire straits. Um, and so that was, it was a pandemic project, but it's, it was also filling a need, as you, as you said, um, that was already there before the pandemic started. And this need is significant when you think about it, the rural areas that you were trying to reach and that's just Minnesota, right? But when you begin to think mm -hmm. about all across the country, the rural areas, and then even if you happen to be in urban areas, it's not guaranteed that you have access or can afford to have access to the types of services that one needs. So let's break down, break this down a little bit more for people who sure. are still curious. What exactly is telehealth and telemedicine for people who have no idea? Uh, do you have to be their doctor? Do they have to have some formal relationship with you in order for telemedicine and telehealth to work? Yeah, that's a good question. So that is really state um, specific. Um, so most states, it is where the patient's is, patient is located, not where the doctor is located. That establishes where the telehealth conversation can happen. Um, some states have more strict rules as far as you know, does the patient have to have a relationship with the physician? You know, in Wyoming, for instance, we expanded to Montana and Wyoming after Minnesota. For Wyoming, um, we need to do a, a video visit. That's considered. Um, a telehealth visit. We can't just do it over the phone. In Minnesota and Montana, um, a telehealth visit is considered a phone visit. You can do it over video, but for patients that are living in rural areas, sometimes broadband internet is not uh, as accessible, but most people have a cell phone. Um, so yeah, so it's where the patient is located. Um, <clears throat> and like I said, state specific as far as you know what it's considered, but it can be audio, um, it can be uh, video, or sometimes it can even be text as well. So that's mm -hmm. where we have, we do a lot of our patient education. Education. Well, it actually so so this is very helpful. And I have a couple of questions to just follow up on that thread, because mm -hmm. where video conferencing is required, it also makes me think about the safety and security of individuals It's one thing to take a call, and to mm -hmm. be able to convey a message during a phone call, but even mm -hmm. internet and Wi Fi systems aside, and the potential mm -hmm. failures there, um, mm -hmm. You gotta, you know, where's the safe place for you to be able right. to uh, have this important conversation? And if it's on video, perhaps you can't have the most confidential type of conversation that keeps you safe. Yeah, that's exactly right. And that's something that I ask every patient, you know, kind of before we start, are you in a comfortable and um, confidential space? I see a lot of patients in their cars, right? They're on their lunch break or taking a break, um, you know, families in the house and they're taking a break from childcare issues. Um, and if they're not, then we really try to reschedule their appointment so that they do have a confidential place. Because you're exactly right. The video makes it just a little bit harder um, to be confidential. So we really try to make sure people are safe. And there are people who also wonder, I'm sure, well, how long does this take? How many phone conversations or video conversations do I need to have? Because one of the backdrops that we see in terms of the politicization um, and the fracturing of reproductive liberties is this notion that somehow people who become pregnant don't know what they want. <laughs> they need many, many days and months to think it over. They're yep. so in, in grief that they're, they're not clear headed. And it's interesting because it's really primarily only around this particular area of healthcare. Otherwise, we presume that people know what they want and what's going to 
you know, keep them safe and, yeah. and allow them to be healthy. So um, getting to this point of, uh, of conversations, how many mm -hmm. does it require if a patient wants to be able to terminate a pregnancy? Yeah, that's a good question. And you are exactly right. This is the only area of healthcare where we just don't trust our patients, right? Um, it's ridiculous, really. Um, and so I really try to be um, as trusting as I can, right? I'm having a telehealth conversation. I trust that they know their last menstrual period. I trust that they have regular periods and that they're gonna take the medications. Pregnant patients and my patients know exactly what they want. I don't do options counseling. Most people know exactly what they want when they get here. I'm not trying to um, you know, patronize them and um, you know, act like they don't, they don't already know their options, right? They can continue their pregnancy and um, adopt or they can continue their pregnancy and continue parenting or abortion. Most, you're, you're exactly right. Our patients know exactly what they need. Um, and so um, with us, for it is state to state specific, but for Minnesota, um, we require one 15 minute telehealth appointment. And we do that mostly via, via phone, same for Montana. And then I talked about Wyoming being video. And then we do two follow-ups, but I do the follow-ups how the patients like them. If they would rather a text versus an email versus a phone call, whatever's convenient for them. So we do a seven day, seven to 14 day follow-up just to make sure the process is complete, make sure they feel like they passed the pregnancy, they bled as expected, symptoms are gone, bleeding is better. And then we also do a, a pregnancy test, just a urine home pregnancy test in four weeks, just to make sure. And so I try to make it, you know, there are some, you know, laws and rules that we have to follow, but I really try to meet the patients where they're at and try to do, um, you know, their follow-up as, uh, as easy as is possible for them. So for people who are wondering how safe is this, mm -hmm. uh, it's a good question because <clears throat> there's been so much fear that mm -hmm. has purposefully been designed around abortion. And so I want to just take a moment and then lead our conversation in just uh, a, a, not a slightly different direction, but just expand it, right? So Roe mm -hmm. v. Wade, 1973, as you mentioned, a mm -hmm. seven to two opinion, five of those justices were Republican appointed. We saw the dramatic decline of, um, of medical wards having to be devoted to people dying from botched abortions with people having attempted abortions themselves um, in bathtubs and motel rooms on dining room tables. And mm -hmm. the World Health Organization has long said that an illegal abortion is as safe as a penicillin, penicillin shot. A person is 14 times more likely to die by carrying a pregnancy to term than by terminating it, right? So just as mm -hmm. level setting, we're talking about something safe. Are those kinds of questions that you have to answer from your patients? Do they wonder, well, how safe is this? And can you explain to the audience here um, how safe are um, medication abortions? Sure. Yeah. So these are, this is a very safe process. Um, it's been around for over 20 years now, the medication abortion pills. Um, actually, 40 years, uh, if we're talking about in Europe when it was first developed, just 20 years in the United States. So we have um, an amazing safety profile and data. Um, and a lot actually during the pandemic, when people are allowed to mail to know that this is safe to continue to do this at home and not having to go back to, to doing this in person. 
Um, so it's 98% effective, right? So 2% failure rate, which is very low. Um, and the rates of, um, you know, safety issues of heavy bleeding, of infection are also very low. Um, I, I will say that, that I, I don't have to answer that many times to patients because they've done their research and they know, um, you know, that this is a safe process. That's why they're choosing this at home. They'd like to either not have to go to a clinic or, you know, go through protesters or they just want to be in the comfort of their own home, right? Um, so yeah, so this is a very safe method um, that I think is a game changer. Like you said, talking about the unsafe abortions that happen pre-Roe, um, whatever happens with the Supreme Court coming up this summer, I think we are in a different boat, right? Mm -hmm. Just because we we have these safe options for, for mm -hmm. pregnant people, which is great. Well, and Justice Breyer in Whole <clears throat> Woman's Health uh, v. Hellerstead broke down just comparatively how safe it is uh, to have mm -hmm. an abortion um, in the United States. I mean, it's mm -hmm. safer than a colonoscopy in the state of mm -hmm. Minnesota. A person's more likely to die due to domestic violence um, than a person is by terminating a pregnancy. But you also That's mentioned right. something, too, which is about being able to do this in the safety of one's own home. Um, and avoiding sometimes the harassment, um, the spitting, the shoving, um, the threats that take place when one has to go to a clinic. I mean, what shouldn't occur anyway. And again, mm -hmm. one thinks about it, this is the only area of healthcare where one exactly is subjected right. uh, to uh, threats, abuse, and real terror as one goes to get a medical procedure. That's exactly right. It is. Um... I mean, frankly, ridiculous. It's the only, like you said, the only medical procedure. And this is one in four people in their reproductive health years choose this. This is very common. It's very safe. Um, and I don't think until you have to go through this process yourself that you really realize how hard it is for people mm -hmm. to, to get these services and to get this general reproductive health care that they need. It, the mm -hmm. hoops are, are kind of ridiculous. So then the, the next question that I want to turn to before we begin the wrap up of our 15 minutes of feminism, and I'm so grateful that you joined me because this is really yes. such important work that you're doing. And Thank I know you. there's an audience that is so hungry to learn more and to understand exactly what their options are given the backdrop of these political times in our country. What about the cost? So we've talked about the safety of this and the availability mm -hmm. and how telemedicine and telehealth work when it comes mm -hmm. to receiving medication abortion um, mm -hmm. and pills in the mail. But what about the cost? Because still, it turns out that for people who are most economically vulnerable, um, mm -hmm. abortion services can still be out of reach. So how is that addressed within this area? Yeah, that's definitely, that is true. So, um, you know, uh, right soon after um, Roe v. Wade was passed in 73, the Hyde Amendment was passed in 76. And that was just devastating, right? That uh, took away the ability for Medicaid, um, like you said, like our most economically uh, marginalized patients um, are not able to use that service. Thankfully, some states have allowed Medicaid coverage. Minnesota is one of those. Um, to do that, but still the hoops are great. We've been struggling for a year at Just the Pill trying to, to get qualified for Medicaid. It just shouldn't be that hard. Um, also with the, you know, the uh, telehealth, the switch over to telehealth and whether you're doing it via video versus telephone, sometimes Medicaid doesn't reimburse as well or other insurances as well. 
Um, and then as far as just kind of out of pocket paying, if you don't have insurance or their insurance won't cover it, um, it can run anywhere between 200 and uh, let's see for a first trimester um, up to, uh, you know, $800, which is not something that most people have just laying around. No, um, that's I mean, rent, mortgage, clothes mm -hmm. for the kids, lunch money, yeah. cell phone bills, right? I mean, that's exactly. Yeah. Thankfully, mm -hmm. we have um, at least adjust the pill, we are working with close to 13 or 14 different individual funds, just depending on where you live, that will help cover the cost of the abortion, cover the cost of childcare, travel, hotels, if you need a safe place to have the medication abortion. So we really work with um, all of those funds to really not turn anybody away, regardless of your ability to pay. But that's not not everywhere, right? Um, mm -hmm. So it's just, uh, yeah. That's that's right. And uh, one last question before we get to our silver lining, which is what we asked <laughs> all of our guests, what we see as a kind of bright future coming ahead. Um, yeah. and, and that is a question with regard to uh, other organizations that are working in similar spaces to just the pill. I mean, you're not alone, right? So for our listeners no. who listen all around the country, all around the world, they might think, mm -hmm. oh my gosh, but I don't live in Minnesota. I don't mm -hmm. live in Montana. Um, yep. Do they have access to yeah. uh, medication abortion, even if they don't happen to live in Minnesota or Montana or other places where you work? They do. They do. Yep. There. So there are two other organizations that are similar to ours that opened in different states. Hey Jane is one of them, and they are working in Washington State, New York State, and I think they just expanded to Illinois. But don't quote me on that. Um, and then Choices, um, which is C H O I X started in California, and they are also in Illinois, Colorado, um, as well and expanding. So there's other telehealth uh, medication abortion options. And then plancpills.org is another organization that has done amazing work and has looked at all of the online providers, whether they're international or local. Um, and, you know, they can tell you exactly how much it costs, they've ordered the pills, checked the mailing time, they check the legitimacy of the pills, so they actually work. They're the same medications that we use in the United States. And that is also a great resource um, for people. So yes, there, there is hope. There, there are lots of resources out there for people. Yes. Yeah, so listeners pay close attention to what it is that you've just heard because resources are available, even if you happen to live in states that are hostile to abortion, contraception, uh, sex education and more, because mm -hmm. when we really get down to it, uh, Dr. Amen, the truth of it is, is that we've seen all across the country, not just uh, the rolling back of Roe v. Wade, but everything that we've seen as fundamental to a democracy concerning the human body. All right, so exactly right. <laughs> we are at that time uh, yeah. where we look at silver linings. What do you see mm -hmm. at, at a time in which it looks like the Supreme Court may be poised uh, mm -hmm. to dismantle Roe um, in part or in whole. For yep. so many people, they are very deeply worried and that's rightfully so, but there are silver mm -hmm. linings and I'm wondering what's a silver lining for you going forward? Yeah, definitely. So I agree. I think this is a, a very scary time and it, it could Roe could be completely dismantled. But I, I think the thing that keeps me going every day is knowing that, you know, just the pill and we are, when we um, move out with our mobile clinics, we're going to be called abortion delivered. So we are truly trying to expand to the states um, that are, we're considering safe haven. So they either have constitutional state protection or other protection. Um, and we're going to drive the borders of the states um, that people don't have access in. And, and I feel like 
this is also going to be besides the expansion and you know continuing to fight for people's access i think if roe v wade is overturned people are going to i think it will be um a mobilization period right so people this has been in effect for since 73 and people have just gone about their business and um and had this right even though it's really a skeleton right to be honest um and i'm hoping that this mobilizes people that people are outraged right because this is like you said this is a fundamental human right um, reproductive justice for everyone so it, we need to go beyond what we what we've are, what we have <laughs> well i want to thank you dr julie amen for being with me today for the important work that you do um and what an exceptional COVID project. This has been you, transformative <laughs> in the lives of so many people. Thank you so much for joining me. Yes, thank you. And pleasure to be here. Guests and listeners, that's it for today's episode of 15 Minutes of Feminism with Michelle Goodwin. I want to thank my guest, Dr. Julie Amen, for joining us and being part of this critical and insightful conversation. And to you, our listeners, you know I love you. I thank you for tuning in for the full story. We hope you'll join us again for our next episode where we will be reporting, rebelling, and you know, telling it just like it is as usual. And it will be an episode you will not want to miss. Now, for more information about what we discussed today, head to MsMagazine.com and be sure to subscribe. And if you believe, as we do, that women's voices matter, that equality for all persons cannot be delayed, and that rebuilding America and being unbought and unbossed and reclaiming our time are important, then be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to on the issues with Michelle Goodwin and Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. We are ad-free and reader-supported. Help us reach new listeners and bring the hard-hitting content you've come to expect by rating, reviewing, and subscribing. Let us know what you think about our show. And please support independent feminist media. Look for us at MsMagazine.com for new content and special episode updates. And if you want to reach us to recommend guests for our show or topics that you want to hear about, then write to us at ontheissues at MsMagazine.com. And we do read our mail. This has been your host, Michelle Goodwin, reporting, rebelling, and telling it just like it is. On the Issues with Michelle Goodwin is a Ms. Magazine joint production. Kathy Spiller and Michelle Goodwin are our executive producers. Our producers for this episode are Roxy Zoll, Oliver Hogg, and Nassim Alisobani. Our social media intern is Lillian LaSalle. The creative vision behind our work includes art and design by Brandy Fitz, editing by Will Alvarez and Kyle Good, and music by Chris J. Lee and social media assistant from Lillian LaSalle. <laughs>